Welcome to the Enterprise Excellence Podcast, where our purpose is to help create a better future. Learn from our world's experts how to improve your organization sustainably. Learn how to achieve and sustain an excellence journey for yourself, others, and the planet. And I'm your host, Brad Jevons, coming to you from Brisbane, Australia. We are proudly brought to you in association with SA Partners, a world-leading business transformation consultancy. SA Partners are a truly purposeful company focused on helping organisations achieve sustainable improvement for themselves, others, and the planet. Welcome to episode 33 of the Enterprise Excellence Podcast. I'm so pleased to have Mr. Gareth Brown with me today. Gareth has a wide history in enterprise excellence, working for and leading organisation transformation journeys to award-winning results. Gareth is passionate about helping organisations establish continuous improvement and development in leadership, process, and results. Let's get into the episode. Gareth, thanks so much for joining us today, mate. You're welcome. Gareth, do you mind sharing some of your backstory, mate? What sort of moments really shaped you into this path of being involved in enterprise excellence and continuous improvement? Look, I think it, it, it probably started when I was in the Air Force, to be honest. So I, I had some time working with the RAF. Um, I was in a, uh, an engineering airworthiness role basically you know responsibility for uh, keeping aircraft in the air and keeping aging aircraft in the air um, and, and that necessarily involved a lot of moving pieces working well so obviously you've got to have good people you need to have uh, rigorous processes you need to have uh, good data and information and decision making and I think that's probably where I first came across if you like complex systems of if you like managing uh, an outcome, if you like, where it's got multiple moving pieces to it. And so it, it really started there, and, but it was only really when I left the Air Force into uh, a company called Autolive, which is uh, now the world's biggest uh, restraint system uh, company, where they had very mature systems of uh, TPS-based operational excellence. And so I translated that, that engineering kind of thinking into what, I guess, most people today recognize as lean or TPS. Gareth, what did you find, mate? Like a lot of our listeners will know of Autolive. You know, it's quite revered in relation to having that cultural continuous improvement. What did you find when you joined them was different? And what did you also find, mate, helped you from your learnings at the RAF to bring across there? Well, there was a lot that was different uh, culturally, a huge amount. It was a, it was a really big change for me to go from a military style of leadership you know, a, a, rel- a relatively, if you like, directive uh, style of leadership um, with very disciplined people and that style of, uh, uh, that kind of environment to Autolive, which was, you know, a Swedish-based company, very collaborative in its leadership style, uh, very egalitarian, didn't have, you know, very, very flat organisational structure, quite different decision-making processes, and uh, so culturally, it was a huge change for me, massive change. And it took me several years to, um, you know, probably make that adjustment. And some would say I perhaps haven't even fully made that adjustment. <laughs> um, but some of the things that were different, some of the things that were the same uh, in my first role there, I, I had a, a transformation role almost, um, you know, immediately. And I had the opportunity to kind of take this kind of theory that I'd, I'd learned in the in this airworthiness environment about people and process and data and and plug that into a transformational opportunity and I, and I was I was just fairly fortunate that 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 approach happened to work with that um, 
that first transformational role that I had. Well, mate, what's that? What did you find with that people, process, and data, mate? Like, what what were the key elements of that framework that you brought in there and actually brought into play at AutoLib that you'd learned from the Air Force? Um, well, I tend to see it as again, like you know, a bit like people, process, data. But you know, if you don't know how you're actually performing, then it's very, very difficult to engage in the problem, right? So you need to be able to put the the problem or the opportunity up in lights. So that's the first thing. I think we're all fairly you know, comfortable with the idea of processes driving those particular outcomes. So then you kind of go, okay, I want good outcomes. I'm going to have to get some processes that are working pretty well. But frankly, you won't get that process improvement unless you've got the people thinking the right way. And so you've got to have a the, the right cultural mindset in order to engage with the processes to get the results, bring the process, the, the results up in lights, and then it becomes this bit of a you know, virtuous kind of circle, if you like. Yeah, does, does that answer your yeah, question? Yeah, it's brilliant. So really you're saying, mate, without having the people on board and them engaged and culturally in it, really the process improvement to get the results is not going to work. I think so. Look, the, to, well, I think in a sustainable way, yes. I mean, you can slam through um, process change. And I, I have seen you know a number of successful examples of where that happens where literally you know you kind of wrench uh, an organizational process change in place and, and that will work but i think if you're trying to develop a a, a sustainable engine of of improvement that will that where you're trying to have an engine that will last a long period of time and is across all aspects of the business then you can't just take that to slam it through approach. Like you've, you've got to bring the people along on the journey with you. And it, it, it sounds easy, but it isn't, isn't, isn't it? And I know, mate, you were recognised for this approach at Vistaprint where you led that site in Melbourne and you actually won a Shingo Prize, which sort of recognises this type of approach you're talking about, doesn't it? How did you go about that, mate? Like how did you go about there at Vistaprint actually embedding the concept of people process and then getting performance and results? Uh, look, we we're, were, we're quite fortunate at Vistaprint because we had a, uh, a greenfield opportunity and, and I know that not everybody gets that. And, and in fact, you know, I tend to think that a greenfield opportunity is a once, maybe twice in a lifetime or once or twice in a career opportunity. So we had this opportunity to, to start from a clean sheet of paper and, and put those things in place. I knew that the people side of things was was pretty important, and and even before we 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 turned the first machine on at, at VistaPrint, you know, we had discussions with the team about what does good look like, you know, what kind of organisation do we want, and uh, myself and a, a few of the other leaders there who'd been brought in as part of the launch team, we actually felt like quite a burden of responsibility. With hey, you're given a green greenfield opportunity, you can either um, you know, do a good job with it or you can muck it up. And so we felt this responsibility. And before we started, we, we had some discussions with the team about the kind of culture that they wanted. What does good look like? And I'd heard somebody in a conference a couple of years before, you know, in an organisational development conference that, that went through a very, very similar approach. And he, he took this approach of, he said to his team, he said, imagine in, in two years' time, three years' time, and you're at a barbecue and you're uh, explaining to your friends and family, hey, I work for this great company. It's, um, you know, it's really empowering and we get 
you know, all these amazing things done and I, and, I, and I love working there. What would need to happen in order for you to say that? And literally, we were just in you know, a bit of a room out the back of this still in construction shed with sticky notes and a, and a whiteboard. And people wrote down the five things that would that they'd need in order to be able to, to make that kind of statement. And then we, we put them up on the board and grouped them all up, had a discussion about them and effectively settled on a like a cultural equation, if you like, or a, a set of, you could call it a set of values that would underpin, you know, the way that we wanted to work. And, and look, and as a leader, you've got an opportunity to kind of influence that a little bit. So we, you know, we, we, we snuck in continuous improvement in there, but actually five out of the six elements on this were, you know, straight from the, straight from the shop floor. So then what it meant was that when we, when we had further conversations, you know, over the next six months, you could just literally lean on this and said, hey, we, we agreed that we wanted to work in this way. It's going to uh, need these kind of, you know, behaviours. And we didn't have to do a lot of uh, correction in that, in that first few months, but there was still some. Yeah, it sounds powerful, mate. Like right from the get-go of this new Greenfield site, you focused on culture and you did it involving everyone. Like that's, a, that's amazing. It sounds like those elements of visionary approach there too, mate, where you were getting them to imagine the future when they're at a barbecue. And that was a really neat way you did it. Well, look, that's, that's straight out, you know, lean thinking where you, if you're like, you know, you're going from a current state to a future state, and then between the two, you're just trying to map out a, a series of actions. Now, in this particular case, the, there were elements of operational excellence that we that we had learned over 15 years at Autolive worked really, really well. And I'd seen them work um, and deployed in you know, a fairly, I wouldn't say simple way, but the way that they'd been built, they were, they were very, very easy to transfer somewhere else. Like it wasn't rocket science at all. And, and basically on the back of rapport with the people at Autolive, we said, hey, look, there's a few things that we, that, that we found have worked really well in, in other organisations and we kind of made a bit of a sales pitch for certain things, things like, things like uh, leader standard work and 5S and things like that and said, look, this is the way that we want to work. And that first group of people, I mean, they're, they're all new employees. They don't know any different. They've all come from, you know, different organisations. And, and frankly, with, with, a, with a room full of, opportunity and and not much structure in place people are looking for something to hang on to and they're looking for okay let's let's do this let's get this in place so enabled us to put a whole bunch of those you know fundamental pieces in place very very quickly without having to work through like a, a resistance equation or to work through a change management equation so like i said it's a blessing and it's a it's a fortunate thing to be able to involve in a greenfield not everybody's got that most people have to work through a change management process to get there but it was certainly helpful to be able to visualise what that long-term equation and use that as the basis of why are we doing these things. Gareth, I, I know, mate, you, you, know, you mentioned the greenfield and uh, the opportunity you had there, but I think it's still really impressive that you and the team focused on culture and brought in culture out of the gate and created a vision for it by talking about that future state. And then also you rapidly brought in key standards and key systems right from the start. Because if you delayed on that, mate, and left it two, three months to bring in those key systems that you knew from Autolive, do you, what's your thoughts, mate? Do you think you would have got the same results? Like I think the rapid action you guys took up front was impressive. Yeah, well, look, to be honest, you know, I'll refer back to my uh, first transformational role in, in Autolive. So 
Autoliv in the manufacturing side had very, very uh, mature processes that had been literally laid up over 15 years and had been, and Toyota had invested in them as their kind of like flagship supplier and all sorts of things. But the piece that I was working in was in the crash test centre and it, it hadn't been loved in quite the same way. And it, it, had, it had lost its way. And my task uh, at the start was to um, make some improvements and changes in that area there. And it really was, uh, I had to work through a lot of change management together. And it took about two and a half to three years to, to make a, a, a complete turnaround. So I knew how hard it was, and it was very stressful. I knew how hard it was to um, change even a relatively small um, part of your organisation from not working well at all to working quite well. And so going into a, a greenfield opportunity, we we thought, you know what, it's going to be a whole lot easier if we can just get this stuff in at the start, like get people bought into it, get in there so that literally that when everybody else comes on board, because we were going to scale from 30 or 40 people up to 100 people over, over a six-month period, that none of those people will really know any different. They'll kind of come in and go, oh, this is the way we work here. I'll, I'll, I'll assimilate with that. And literally it was born out of the fact that we knew that it was like a stitching time saves night. Every hour that we spent on building these foundations right at the start would save us nine or ten hours of grief later on. So it was it was probably laziness that drove it, to be perfectly honest. I think it's impressive, but mate, and especially too, it makes me reflect on the power of when you onboard people into an organization, even the existing, like that, that moment of a new person joining an organization, whether it be greenfield or existing that's a moment that's going to shape that person, isn't it? And it's going oh, to shape absolutely. it quite rapidly. hundred percent. Uh, people generally want to assimilate with the organization they come in with. Um, and there's lots of, you know, um, you know, case studies of where people have changed from being, you know, having their thinking in the right place to, you know, really downgrading as a result of the environment that they've been in. And they haven't been able to bring in enough critical mass to, to make the change here. And so, you know, that opportunity when you bring people in is very, very important. And, and I think the kind of support that they get during that time and how you manage that process is very, very important. And look, it's, it's, I would say that it's a, an opportunity that goes often unrecognised in a lot of organisations that we think, oh, you know, you go through all this recruiting process and some of those, often those recruiting processes are fairly painful. By the time you get them there, you've kind of, you've run your race. I think we underestimate the importance of really investing in that person as a leader at the start to make sure that they're, you know, they're part of the team and they, and they understand where you want them to think differently as well as where you'd, you'd like them to subscribe to the existing paradigms. It's a real, a real opportune time to save yourself a lot of time down the track. Like you said, that was a, a great yeah. point. Mate, what would you, what advice would you give to a new leader or someone looking to come into play with a transformation journey, you know, and they're just getting into it. Same as you got some advice early on in your career, mate, and throughout your journey, what would you say if you were talking to someone just getting going right now? I reckon one of the, the best pieces of advice that I got um, was actually at a, I can't remember the guy that spoke this. It was a Japanese gentleman who'd worked um, on Toichi Ono's team. Um, he was, you know, Part, he was in Australia as part of a conference in would have been um, early 2000s. And uh, somebody from the audience asked the question. They asked almost exactly that same question. They said, you know, what's, what's the recipe for success? What, what are the key things that you really need to know? 
And this guy came straight out and he said, he said, the number one thing that you need is top management support. Um, he said, you must have top management support. Without that, you're either really going to struggle or you're not, not going to succeed. And, and I think that's true. You really, really have to have that, that senior leader sponsor who's going to go on the journey with you and is going to support you and, and who has that vision of where they want to go. Uh, and look, and I really feel for um, people in, you know, operational excellence roles who don't have that. And, you know, I, I, I actually couldn't operate in that way. Like if I didn't have a senior leader support, I, I literally would just move move company because you, you are just going to uh, flog yourself and um, you're probably going to become a bit demoralised and a bit jaded and a bit cynical and quite likely not even achieve your results because you're not, because your, your senior leader is going to have different imperatives that they're going to want to put first. So Gertha, you're saying that what happens in that scenario, if you don't have their support, you're trying to lead through excellence and help achieve that, but imperatives of those leaders is disrupting it or causing exactly. damage. Yeah, because they will get the foot because people invest time where in the things that their bosses value. You can see what your boss value because that's where he spends his time or her time. Right, so if if your boss is doing A, B, and C, and you're trying to say, "Hey, I want you to invest in D," they're not going to listen to you, because most operational excellence people don't carry significant authority. I don't carry authority now. I, I, my, what I bring to the organisation is influence, if you like. But but fundamentally, it's those line leaders that carry the authority. If the line leaders are, are saying other things to what you're saying, then you're not going to get a lot of traction. Yeah. And is it is there any tactics or anything, mate, that you've found or seen people do or used yourself to help influence senior leaders and get buy-in and get that commitment? Look, I haven't got any secret sauce uh, for this other than if, if there's any way that you can get those leaders to other organisations which are already employing some of these principles and are on the journey and that will cause them to, you know, for their eyes to light up, so if you, you you've got to try and create that vision for them um, through somewhere else because you standing up and making presentations and showing photos and stuff like that, it's going to sound like a completely foreign language to them, and they're going to go, oh, okay, I don't see how it's going to really apply here. That's this kind of business. We're this kind of business, and we're very different. Um, they need to go and see a, a, a business where it's already running, it's already reasonably mature, and they're getting genuine business benefit out of it. And you know, see the enthusiasm in those front and second line leaders' eyes when they talk about this improvement that they're in, and they're taking pride in their results. And if you can show them that, particularly if it's in an in- industry which is not too different to what they're involved, in, they can say, "Oh, I can make that leap. Oh, that, that's, that, there's got similarities between what they're doing and what I'm doing." Then that's that's probably the the, um, the best option that you've got. Yeah, that's great advice. Taking them to see and physically visualize it for themselves as someone who's doing it well already. That's that's powerful. What are you focused on now going forward, mate? I'm working in a, an organisation called GrainCorp. Um, it's a, a leading Australian agribusiness. We've got uh, hundreds of sites up the east coast of Australia. We manage, uh, I think, about half of the uh, east coast Australian grain. Um, so that's moving it, uh, so basically receiving it in, um, moving it through rail systems to port, export, and then also domestic consumption as well. It's quite a complicated equation. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of variables. There's a long history with the business, but a, but quite a, 
a disparate history, like all those states. We didn't all start with Grain Corp 130 years ago. They've all come from various states and things. And, you know, right now we're focused on putting in place those, some of the fundamental pieces that, that you need to succeed and particularly developing those tier one to tier three leaders. So I've got really good sponsorship at a, um, you know, at a senior level. But we're, we're effectively like, it's like selling a different language to people. Um, unlike a lot of manufacturing industries where people have come from other manufacturing industries and they kind of go, oh yeah, I kind of recognize that. We did this at so-and-so business. Where, where we're working in, um, in in the agribusiness sector, a lot of this stuff is, is completely foreign. They haven't seen this at all. And so you're literally going right back to square one about selling the benefits of these these fundamental pieces the challenge for us is is really around the scale of it. We're, we're a very, very small team and we've got a large number of people that we're trying to uh, develop over a very wide geographic area. Um, and they're very small teams. It's almost a bit like a utility, if you like. And so to develop those leaders and to introduce those systems um, requires a certain creativity and it requires a certain a slightly different approach, if you like, to, to get traction in, in that environment. And these people are, are by, by and large, they're very practical people. They'll call BS very, very quickly, but that's probably not unusual in an Australian environment. Um, and so you've got to be able to put things on the table which offer value for them. Like there's got to be a, you've got to think about that what's in it for me equation. So we've got a business kind of context and things that we're trying to do, but what we put on the table has to give them pretty much immediate benefit. They've got to be thinking, hey, that actually makes my life easier. Yeah. And mate, it's so good that you're involved in agricultural industry and, and one of our largest, if not our largest, because Australia, so much of Australia is agricultural and primary industry. So mate, it's a, a real a real blessing that we've got yourself in that industry right now and then helping. It, it sounds like it's a good good journey to be on. Yeah, look, I enjoyed it. I mean, I've worked in a number of industries uh, over, over the years. I mean, I really loved being in the Air Force and you felt like you were part of a bigger thing. I loved working for Autolive because it's, it's um, you know, it's fundamentally, it's an organisation that's there to save people's lives. I've worked in other industries since where the, the, the meaning side of it wasn't as strong and I struggled to kind of really buy into it. But uh, agribusiness and, you know, feeding the world, um, you know, we... Yeah. We've brought in, you know, in our harvest, we've brought in like 13 million tonnes of grain. That's like enough to fill the MCG 13 times. That, that's a lot of loaves of bread. Um, and, yeah. uh, we, and that gets exported all over the world. Yeah, that, there's a big purpose behind that. And for those that don't know, Grain Corp is a major player about the world, not just Australia when it comes to size, isn't it, mate? Yeah, that's right. So we've got operations in, in Europe, in, in Canada, um, you know, in, into Asia. So it's, it's genuinely uh, in the UK. Um, yeah, so it's a global organisation. I tend to spend most of my time in the east coast of Australia. Um, but uh, yeah, we've got international operations as well. Hey, Gareth, one question I always finish up with, with guests, mate, is what have you learned recently in your area of expertise that you didn't know before? What's been a recent insight for you? I think probably a recent, inf uh, look, there's probably, I would say two recent insights, one which I'll gloss over fairly quickly and the second one which we can unpack if you want to. Uh, the first one would probably be uh, the value of value stream mapping for organisations that are less versed in operational excellence. I hadn't used value stream mapping very much at all in, and then, in fact, I don't think we did even once at, at either Autolive or Vistaprint uh, because we had very mature uh, processes and teams and literally the 
you know, the, the waste stood out very, very quickly. Everybody could see where it was. And, and so you didn't need to kind of unpack it exhaustively to be able to put it on the table. But since leaving there, I've discovered the benefit of mapping processes out and making it visual and bringing the, the group along with us. The second piece would probably be um, this: the uh, benefits of some of the digital, you know, translating the, those lean tools, which have traditionally been in a fairly tactile kind of uh, deployment and, and making digital. And there's lots of people today are actually more comfortable with a digital uh, interface than a tactile. And I've got a story so we could tell another day of people, particularly younger people, being quite disorientated by, you know, your, your sticky notes and writing stuff on a pen and your reds and greens and stuff. And they kind of go, that's really weird. But you do the same thing on a computer. Oh, great. No, I'm all over it. That sounds great. Yeah, Gareth, I, I found the same, mate. Uh, you know, and I think prior to COVID, mate, did you avoid it? Prior to COVID, were you sort of thinking, oh, the tactile is the way to go? And then has COVID really opened your eyes? Because I'll tell you, mate, I've been through that journey. Yeah, yeah. And look, um, it happened to come at the right time for us because, like I said, we've got this real tyranny of geography in, uh, and we have a real problem with being able to get across all of those folks. Um, so one of my guys who, who works in the country area, literally for him to deploy one small system and spend three hours with each of those teams, that's a 12-week program for him travelling nonstop. That's just to move one tiny piece to, to get in front of people once. Now, that doesn't you know, align with very much lean thinking at all. You know, that whole lean thinking of walk beside people and, you know, we go and we see and we teach and we coach and stuff. Trying to do that with this this kind of geography is is very, very difficult. So um, we're seeing benefits of digitising a lot of this thinking. We've had to think very carefully about how do you make that digital expression of that lean concept very, very simple. Um, because the flip side of this equation is a lot of our folks are a bit, um, you know, a bit twitchy about tech or they're not particularly um, comfortable with tech. Some of our, you know, maybe our older generation people. Um, and so we have to create tools which are so intuitive, um, but in a digital environment, um, that, that's what we've been uh, focusing on as a particular challenge. So that's been a, that's been a, a bit of a learning over the last year or two. Well, I think we've got another episode there if you're willing to come back on at some stage. Because I think we could just talk for a whole half hour on that one, mate. If, if you'd be open to it at some stage, let's set that up. I think our, yeah, no, our listeners would gain a heap from it. Yeah, and no, I'm happy to do that. Um, it's, a, it's something that's exciting me more than I thought it would. Um, and uh, yeah, no, we've got some, some really good learnings that um, I'm happy to share with you anytime. Great, mate. Gareth, how, how can people reach out to you, mate, if they want to get in touch? Oh, just, just find me on LinkedIn. I think my details are all in there. So give me a buzz. Um, I'm, I'm pretty happy to talk anyone's ear off. You know, if they were, if they got a particular challenge and they're saying, hey, you know, do you mind if I bounce a few ideas off you? Then, yeah, look, I'm, I'm very happy to do that. Well, Gareth, thank you, mate. Thanks for your knowledge and everything you're doing and everything you're working on now with such a key company in Grain Corp. And, uh, mate, thanks for helping us create that better future. Appreciate, appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me on the show, Brad. Um, good luck with the rest of the series. Thanks, mate. Bye for now. The key takeaway for me from this episode was the focus Gareth had on people, process and performance. Gareth really outlined the importance of getting people on the journey and culturally engaged first. Without motivation to change and adopt new things, there is very little chance of team members engaging and supporting the journey. Emotion, either positive or negative, helps people embrace and lock away new learning, form new habits. 
When new people join an organisation, they naturally have a high level of emotion and desire to fit in. This is a prime time to achieve cultural and system alignment with people. If you have a greenfield site opportunity, plan up front and focus on the most important things first like Gareth and his team did. If you don't have that opportunity, review your new team member onboarding process. How can you improve this system to engage new employees early, align them to the culture and system improvement approach you are looking to achieve in the future? Thanks again for your time and knowledge, Gareth, in helping us create a better future. Bye for now.